Our scripture reading comes from the book of Proverbs. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. The fear of the Lord is instruction in wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Amen. Thank you, Kaya. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, it's good uh, to be able to... It's good to be able to be together. It's good to be able to now come before your word and plead for your wisdom. God, we know that on our own, we are foolish and we uh, lack wisdom. And so, God, we come dependent today uh, upon you, dependent upon you to grant us wisdom and to lead us in this life. Lord, uh, we ask now that even as you uh, spoke to uh, your people for generations, you spoke wisdom and discernment through King Solomon and through others, God, you spoke uh, through your spirit uh, to the first um, writers of your word. You spoke to us by sending your son. You spoke to us by, by writing letters through people like Peter and Paul. God, we pray the same spirit will be alive and active in us now and that you would speak to us and guide us in wisdom. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. C.S. Lewis, maybe as a name uh, you recognize, he wrote a book called uh, Mere Christianity. And in it, he has a chapter called The Great Sin. The Great Sin. And if you, if you haven't already read that book, or, or you just aren't familiar with that chapter, uh, and you, before you turn to it, what would you anticipate that chapter being about? The, the Great Sin. What would, you, what would you expect for somebody to describe as the great sin? Maybe you, think, you hear great and you think of, Big sin or just, you know, newsworthy sin, something like taking somebody's life, like murder. Or maybe you think of taking somebody's wife, like adultery. That's a big sin. Maybe that's the, the big sin. Or maybe you think, hey, I know C.S. Lewis lived like, you know, a couple generations ago, but maybe he already knew that cheering for somebody like the University of Alabama would just be a horrific sin. Maybe that <laughs> is the great sin. There's all kinds of things we could anticipate as the great sin, maybe I, you know, people along the lines have pointed out, I don't have any kind of fashion sense. Maybe the great sin is wearing a, a plaid shirt if I wore striped pants or something. Maybe that's the great sin. Maybe, what would you anticipate before you open the book and turn to it? What would you anticipate is the great sin? He starts that chapter this way. He says, I now come to that part of Christian morals where they differ most sharply from all other morals. There is one vice of which no man in the world is free, which everyone in the world loathes when he sees it in somebody else, and of which hardly any people except Christians ever imagine that they are guilty themselves. I have uh, heard people admit that they are bad-tempered, or they cannot keep their heads about girls or about drink, or even that they are cowards. But I do not think I have ever heard anyone who is not a Christian accuse himself of this vice, and at the same time, I have very seldom met anyone who is not a Christian who shows the slightest mercy to this vice in others. There's no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault 
which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it in ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. The vice I'm talking about is pride or self-conceit. And its virtue in Christian morals is the opposite. It's called humility. The great sin, the great sin, he says, is pride. Did you anticipate that? Is that what you thought of when you thought of the worst, not the worst, the great, we'll, call, we'll stick with that, the great sin. Uh, he goes on to write, unchastity, so spirit, you know, sexual immorality, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison to this sin. It was through pride that the devil became the devil, and pride leads to every other vice. It's the complete anti-God state of mind. I, I don't think he's overstating the case. I don't think he's saying something untrue there when he describes this as the, the great sin and the complete anti-God state of mind. If we are filled with pride, we are not filled with God. It is the complete anti-God state of mind to be filled with pride. And it may be easy enough to, to recognize, you know, when I first think of pride, I think of boasting, you think of arrogance, it's easy enough to recognize kind of the big, blatant types of boasting, the, the big and arrogant, loud type uh, forms of pride. Somebody go around bragging relentlessly about their accomplishments. We, we can see that, but but we may miss the more subtle forms of pride, and therefore we may not see pride in ourselves as easily as we see it in other people. What about somebody who's always defensive and always uh, giving, a, not taking responsibility and pushing blame? What about somebody who's really sensitive to any kind of feedback or, or constructive criticism? What about somebody who's touchy about certain subjects and defensive about their ego or, or somebody who's not a, a great listener or all those forms all those types of, of behaviors, forms of pride. I, I'm convinced that far more of us struggle with pride than just the, the big, brazen-type, boastful arrogance that, that goes on. I think, starting with me, we all, in some form or fashion, struggle with pride. If you've uh, been with us starting last week, we started a series in the book of Proverbs, and we're encouraging you to pick up uh, Proverbs in June and July and read through one chapter a day. Pick the, the chapter uh, for the day. So today's the 13th. So if you have not yet read Proverbs 13, read Proverbs 13 today. And if you do that, you'll read through Proverbs twice in the months of June and July. And if you've been on that track with us, you recognized when, once you finish chapter 9, when you started chapter 10, something changes in Proverbs. The first nine chapters of Proverbs, they're, they're kind of whole sections that, that fit together. But starting in chapter 10, maybe what you more think of when you get to Proverbs. When you get to chapter 10, just about every verse or every few verses is about something different. So any one chapter may cover 15, 20, 30 different things when it speaks of that. So in order to, to preach Proverbs and kind of get a, an understanding of the whole book, what we're doing for this summer is taking a, a theme that Proverbs addresses over and over again, taking all the verses we can find in the book of Proverbs about that one theme and asking, what does Proverbs say about that? So our theme today is wise humility and foolish pride. Wise humility and foolish pride. Kaya read for us eight. I just picked out eight Proverbs for, us, for her to read for us. But by my count, I found at least 30 different verses that are relevant to pride and humility across this book. There's probably plenty more. But at least 30 that I pulled together as I studied this. And perhaps the most famous verse in Proverbs on pride is one that pretty well captures the the theme uh, of pride through the book of Proverbs. 
Uh, it's chapter 16, verse 18. It says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. So I'm sure you've heard that quoted in, in some form or fashion. Uh, usually we quote it this way. Pride goes before the fall. Pride goes before the fall. In moments of, of accomplishing something, maybe we're, we're filled with a, a, a moment of boasting and we, we celebrate that and, and we, we come across as arrogant and somebody warns us, whoa, 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 be careful because pride goes before the fall. People are warning us knowing that if we go around beating our chest arrogant about something, it may not go so well for us. Pride goes before the fall. There, there's one, uh, this one idea of pride comes up in all kinds of different words throughout Proverbs, and it's always negative. It's always negative. It's not pretty. One of the, one of the words I find interesting that Proverbs use is a word haughty, and, and I think that word is interesting. It, it sounds as bad as it is. Like, haughty just sounds obnoxious, right? It sounds arrogant. It sounds uh, ridiculous. It literally means to, to, like, lift up your eyes, like, like to not look at somebody square in the eye, but to be looking past them and over them. I, I picture somebody you know, ra literally raising their nose at you. That's the idea of haughty and obnoxious. Uh, the word, the ESV translates it literally in Proverbs 30, 13. It says, there are those how lofty their eyes and how high their eyelids lift. Right? That's like this, haughty, you know. The NIV puts just uses the word haughty. Eyes are ever so haughty. That's just so funny. Uh, Proverbs 21, 4, haughty eyes and a proud heart. The lamp of the wicked or sin. Or 21-24, the scoffer is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. So these are people who don't, don't look to others as equals. They don't look you at the eye and listen to what you have to say. They're always looking beyond you, always looking past you, thinking about what they want from you and how to move on past it. These are not people who treat you like you're on their level. They're, they're putting themselves on a higher level than you and looking beyond you. That's a picture of pride. Someone who is prideful thinks they always know what's best, don't we? We think we, we know what's best. So if you go against them, they get angry. We get angry when people go against us in our pride. Proverbs 19, 11, good sense makes one slow to anger and it's in his glory to overlook an offense. And when somebody offends you, can you, can you look past it or do you have to quickly get even? Do you have to quickly make it right and, 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 and get the last word? If so, that's that's pride in us that's trying to go against somebody else. Uh, Proverbs 25 warns against self-promotion. Uh, uh, verse 6 and 7 says, Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it's better be told, come up here, than to, and then to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Do you always want to put yourself up for promotions? Hey, make sure you, you recognize me. I don't want to get missed. Make sure you, you see me. Hey, hey, remember what I did? Always trying to put ourselves up. 27, uh, chapter 27 warns against the prize of self-praise. Let another praise you, not your own lips. A stranger, not, or not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. It's arrogant to be praising ourselves, making sure people see our accomplishment. There are verses like that all the way through Proverbs, painting this just terrible and despicable picture of pride. You can't read Proverbs honestly and come away saying, God's kind of, you know, Hit or miss on pride. It's very clear. It is a disgusting picture. Repulsive, nasty, unattractive. And yet, in our culture, and in our way of thinking, many times we say, hey, it's, it's no big deal. Or it's just, that's how they are. Take, for example, professional athletes. There are many great, humble, wonderful professional athletes. I'm not 
picking on them for the sake of anything else. But just, it's a visible way, I think we see this. People that pound their chest in celebration, this obnoxious, you know, touchdown celebration, or, or somebody who has a post-game interview and is just bragging about how hard they have worked, that they have got themselves to this place, taking all the credit. Take uh, any, any politician or any corporation who, who makes a mistake, they, they don't own it many times. They, they say it's always somebody else's fault, and they, they're not going to take ownership for their mistake. They say, no, it, it's somebody else. That's, that's pride that creeps in. Proverbs and the rest of the Bible tells us it's ugly, and yet if it's our politician or our team or somebody that we like, we say, hey, it's no big deal. That's just, that's just how they are, and we dismiss pride as if it's okay, and yet it's clearly, clearly not. Jonathan Edwards wrote an essay about some undetected or, or underseen uh, forms of pride. And, and if you aren't giving press conferences where you're bragging about yourself and you're not giving touchdown dances that are overly elaborate, don't let yourself off the hook too quickly because as I read this list, I was convicted about what pride can really look like. Pride can look like fault finding, always seeing other people's faults and always quick to see where they mess up. A harsh spirit, being judgmental of others and being quick to recognize their sins, being slow to recognize our own. Being superficial, that is to, to clean ourselves up on the, on the outside in a way that people think that we're better than we are while not really letting our character grow to be who Christ calls it to be. Being defensive, always justifying our actions and saying we were justified in what we did and, and it wasn't really our fault. Being uh, presumptive before God. So assuming, God, God if, you, if you really are who you say you are, I, I've been doing the right thing. I deserve these good things to come to me. Being presumptuous, not, a, not forgetting that He's God. and He can do whatever He wants, and we are not. Being desperate for attention. We, we'll do whatever's necessary so people notice us. And it doesn't have to be the, the whole world, but somebody's got to notice us. Somebody's got to see what we've done, or else we don't feel like it's good enough. That goes along with, he doesn't say this, but my, as I'm thinking about that, this insecurity, this desire that, that i got to be praised by somebody else so that I can feel good about myself. The last one on Edward's list is neglecting others, being so concerned about my needs that I just forget about other people. Maybe you don't see yourself in the overly obnoxious touchdown dance, but I wonder if you see yourself in any of those. Because pride can be so subtle, so small, and yet so destructive in our lives. All the way through Proverbs is very clear what God thinks about that. Proverbs doesn't mince words or beat around the bush. Proverbs 16:5, everyone who is arrogant in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 15:25, the Lord tears down the house of the proud. Chapter 6, verse 16 starts a list. It says, six things the Lord hates, sevens, seven that are an abomination to Him. And the very first one on that list, verse 17, haughty eyes. Like we read last week, Proverbs 8, 13, pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate, says God. Wow. He is direct. He is clear. There's no beating around the bush. He hates pride. And the reason it is is that pride goes against the very nature of God. Pride goes against the very core of who God is because pride is about self-promotion, about self-glorification. God at His core, He is three in one. We call Him a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And since before the foundation of the world, 
God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have been in perfect relationship, perfectly loving one another, perfectly giving themselves to the other. And we see that in Christ coming to the earth in the way that Christ gave Himself to the Father and the Father gave all to the Son. This is who God has always been, is He is self-giving. And pride is the opposite of that. Pride is taking for oneself, taking what makes me better and what I want, not giving away. Pride is the opposite of giving. Pride is the opposite of God Himself. By definition, we, God, God can't be prideful because He is the highest and most glorious being, so He could never overstate who He is. But, but we aren't. We, we are not high and glorious. And so when we take things for ourselves and put ourselves in God's place, that is pride. God hates it when we seek glory and honor for ourselves instead of loving and serving other people and glorifying Him. If you pull all the, the verses together on Proverbs, one of the first things you'll notice is where it leads to, the, the effects of pride. 18, 16, 18, and 18, 12 both talk about pride coming before destruction. In chapter 11, verse 12, when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Pride means we build ourselves up. Literally, it means to, to put yourself up. But yet in, in Proverbs 29, 23, it says, one's pride will bring him low. It's the opposite of what you're trying to do. Trying to build yourself up, it's going to lead down. We think pride's good for ourselves, but Proverbs 13, 10 says, there is strife. So animosity, discord, and when there's strife, there is pride. We could try to promote ourselves through pride, try to build ourselves up, try to pat ourselves on the back, but ultimately it's going to lead to our destruction. Because if we're prideful, we are not dependent upon God. Pride goes before the fall for eternity. Because ultimately, before God, if we are prideful, that means we don't have faith. Faith is an opposite of pride. Faith is saying, I'm a sinner who needs to be saved and I can't save myself. I don't have the capacity within me to save myself. Pride says, I'm good. I got it. I'm okay. I, I can handle this on my own. Pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before the fall. Because if we spend our entire lives saying, I'm good. I don't need a Savior. I don't, I'm not really that sinful. I'm not all that bad. At least not as bad as that guy then we're going to go into eternity saying, I don't need God. And God said, it's fine. You can get away from me forever. Pride goes before destruction. Pride goes before the fall. And if we reject God, if we say, I'm good without Him, then He'll give us just that. Proverbs warns of that for eternity, but also Proverbs is very practical about this life even before we get to eternity. We can't worship God and ourselves at the same time, and so we follow ourselves instead of God. It leads to destruction here and now. The fallout of pride happens in this life too. Chapter 11, verse 2 talks about when pride comes, then comes disgrace. Man, if, you, if you're going along in your, work of, your line of work and you're filled with pride and you make a mistake and somebody calls you out on it, but you don't have the humility to accept that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to keep making that same mistake. If you don't learn from your errors and learn from what other people do, you're going to just live your whole life in mediocrity. You're not going to get any better. And you're going to fall. You're going to stumble. And you're going to keep stumbling because you're not learning. You're not growing. You're not getting better. If you can't hear criticism, if nobody can ever tell you anything, nobody can ever tell you what you've done wrong, then, then you're just going to live your whole life 
with not getting better, just staying like you are. And Proverbs tells us there's a disgrace to that. There's a, uh, you're, gonna, you're never going to go forward. You're going to keep being, uh, being where you are. Insecurity maybe is, is maybe not something you immediately associate with pride, but many times our own insecurities come from a place of pride because pride is ultimately being consumed with ourselves. So when we're insecure, what we're saying is, I'm focused on me and myself, that I'm putting my self-worth in, in my, my body image or my accomplishments at work or, or some kind of financial status that I'm growing in. But we know all of those are subject to change. Hey, we all age. If our, if our, if our identity is based on how our, we're going to look, that, that's, that's not going to go so well, right? It's only so long we can keep that up. Our financial status may grow, whatever else may happen, but all those things can come crumbling down and ultimately they will not last forever. If our identity is in ourselves, then we're going we're gonna to just be insecure. If we're focused on ourselves, full of pride, that's where we'll be. Pride in yourself is the opposite of trusting in God, putting our identity in Him. But there is an alternative path. There is an opposite to pride, a different way of living that Proverbs recommends to us. And before we even see it in Proverbs, we can think of the greatest example of that, being Christ Himself. If anybody in the world had the right to be prideful or boastful or brag about how great they are, it would have been Jesus. Literally, Jesus could not have said something greater about Himself than He really is. Right? He couldn't have overstated how great He is. And yet He constantly chose the path of humility. Hundreds, thousand years before, Proverbs commended that same path to us. Proverbs tells us pride goes before the fall and humility comes before honor. Humility comes before honor. The path to greatness, the path of, uh, of recognition and of honor, doesn't come by patting yourself on your back. It comes by laying your life down. That's how we get the path of honor. As, as, as harsh as Proverbs is against pride, it is just as much on the opposite. It is very high on humility. It describes an attitude of humility, the opposite of pride, in a very positive term, terms. The proud one is quick to get angry when something goes wrong, but it says this, 1911, it's his glory to overlook his offense. So in humility, we overlook when somebody speaks against us, when something goes wrong. Rather than having lofty, haughty eyes, Proverbs 30, 13 says, a humble person can look you in the eye and listen and care for you. A humble person seeks out the lowly place of the king's table, Proverbs 25, 6, and 7. A humble person doesn't need to praise himself. A humble person is secure enough in who they are not to worry about getting compliments. They can handle criticism and they can learn from it without their identity being crushed in just a quick word of confrontation. With humility, there's a, a quiet confidence in what God has done and who He is. And it's, it's, when we see it, when you see humility, you know how attractive it is. And yet so often we, we overlook it. John Dixon is a historian, and he wrote uh, a lot about humility kind of throughout history and how Jesus really revolutionized uh, our culture's view of humility. And this is the way he defines humility. He says, it's a willingness to hold power in the service of somebody else. Think about that definition of humility. Humility is a willingness to hold power in the service of someone else. Many times our, our kind of quick, without thinking too much about it, definition of humility, 
We really just mean somebody who keeps their mouth shut. <laughs> somebody who's quiet. That's what we mean by humility. But that's not the way the Bible talks about humility. No, he, he's, I think he's right on point. It's a willingness to hold power in the service of somebody else. A humble person isn't just a doormat that people just run over. A humble person isn't just somebody who gets steamrolled by anybody who's louder than them in a conversation. No, a humble person knows their dignity. They know their value, their worth. They know their abilities. They, they don't overestimate their, their capabilities. They don't underestimate their capabilities. They know, they're very self-aware. They have power, but they don't use it to glorify themselves. They use it in service of other people. Somebody who's humble has dignity, they're self-aware, and they use it for somebody else. It's a willingness to take a lower position than we have to take. It's a willingness to serve others instead of glorifying yourself. Or as Philippians 2 so well puts it, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. That's a picture of humility. The result of humility throughout Proverbs is very high. 334, the humble, to the humble he gives favor. 1812, but humility comes before honor. 2923, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs 22:4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Riches that truly matter in this life honor that really matters in this life, uh, praise from, from who it really matters that it comes from. It doesn't come from pride. because It doesn't come from building ourselves up with pride. It comes from living a life for God. Those who boast in themselves, Jesus talks about this when he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount, about those who give lofty words on street corners or big, loud prayers. He says they've received the reward. The idea is if you, if you live your whole life just patting yourself on the back and seeking the praise of people, that's all you're going to ever get. You just live with your own, your own pat in the back. That's all you get. But if you live for God, you get God's favor. That's much better than any pat on the back or any applause of any crowd. Living for God is a much greater way to live. All right, and our, our eternity is dependent upon that. Our eternity is dependent on living in humility. Because as we said, humility is a, is a kind of a prerequisite. It's a description or a synonym even of faith itself. Humility says, I am a sinner. Humility says, I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. As hard as I try, as much gumption as I may put into it, as much as I may try, I cannot be perfect. I cannot be holy. And even if I was holy today, I wasn't holy yesterday wasn't holy last year. So whatever we may think of ourselves, we are not righteous enough. Humility is the humility to say, I need a Savior. And that is what faith is. Our, our, our eternity is dependent upon our humility. Humility comes before honor. If you want to be honored by God forever, for all of eternity, you have to be humble enough to receive Him. It matters for eternity, but again, Proverbs is really practical. It matters for today. It may seem counterintuitive, maybe backwards from what we're expecting. But if we promote ourselves in life, if we live our whole lives trying to put ourselves higher up on the, the pedestal, higher up on the ladder, more than not, we go down the ladder. We get crushed. We look obnoxious to people and they don't want to trust us. But a life of humility, 
that's actually what people enjoy. It, it makes people feel loved. It makes people feel desired. We're not putting our eyes, lifting our eyes up and over people. We want to listen to people. We want to connect with people. We want to get to know people. We treat them as better than ourselves, as our equal, not as our inferior. And when we do that, we build relationships. That's where thriving happens. No relationship can thrive if there's not humility. To always be prideful and arrogant and boastful about ourselves, that's going to destroy every relationship. Any relationship we're in that's full of pride will fall. But a relationship that's, that's built on mutual humility, that's where life and joy and fruit and honor come. That's where we can really thrive in a relationship is when we're humbly seeking the other's good above our own. If you hear criticism well, if people can, can speak to you, they can tell you something, they can give you some, some correction and some pointers, if you can learn from that, that's how you grow. That's how you get better. Nobody ever played a sport, picked up a baseball bat, and on day one could smash a curveball 200 or 490 feet, right? That takes a lot of coaching and instruction. And if we never listen to instruction, we're never going to get better, not just at hitting curveballs, but at anything in life. If we can't hear suggestion, if we don't actually let people speak truth into our lives, we're not going to grow. I tell you, this is one of the hardest things in Christian life, I think, is having people close enough to you that you're willing to listen to really honest feedback, not just about sports performance, that's easier, it's outside, but our character, our character. Are you willing to listen to people who can say honest, speak honest truth into your life? That's humility. It takes an incredible amount of humility to be able to let others speak truth into your life. That's a path of humility, and it's a path that leads to honor. Jesus was the supreme portrait of humility. Because he had everything. He had eternity. He had heaven, all glory and honor. He was on the throne. And then willingly gave it up to come and to be here on earth. And he came, he said, not to do his own will, but to do the will of the Father. He wasn't seeking his own desires. He came to serve. He even says that in Mark 10, 45. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That is a picture of humility. Somebody who could have said, rightfully so, everybody on earth bow down right now. He would have been fully, he had full authority to do that. And yet he said, no, 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 I'm here to serve you. In fact, he took his outer robe off at one point and wrapped a towel around his waist and washed his disciples' dirty feet before the Last Supper. That's a picture of an incredible amount of power, Jesus himself, used in the service of other people. Philippians 2 probably best captures that of anywhere in the Bible when it says, Let each of you look not only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others, and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death upon a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the path of honor. The path of honor isn't by applauding ourselves and patting ourselves on the back and seeking seeking the next pedestal and the next great thing to boastfully and arrogantly try to get ahead in the world. No, Jesus modeled for us the path of honor. 
It's a path of self-sacrifice. It's a path of humility. It's a path of using our power, whatever power you have, for the sake of serving other people. Last night I told Lois that definition of humility, willingness to use power for the service of others. And she said, I don't have any power, because she's thinking superheroes. She's thinking Elsa's power of ice and magic, you know, and all that kind of stuff. No, no, Lois, you have an incredible amount of power. You know what, Lois, I was helping my brother-in-law yesterday, and so I was gone all day, and, uh, and I came in the door, and Lois came, when I came in the door, and she's, she's, you know, seven now, so she doesn't do this all the time, but she came running and jumped in my lap and said, Daddy, I haven't seen you all day, and just hugged me and just sat in my lap for 20 minutes. I tell you, I felt like a king. I, you could not have given me a better gift. She just sat in my lap and just loved, loved on me for 20 minutes. That's power. That is power. And she used it in service of other people. Man, you, you may not think of yourself as powerful. You're not the top of your corporation or the top of whatever else. You've got power. You've got power in somebody else's life. You've got power. The question is, how are you using it? Are you using it to build yourself up? Are you using it to try to get ahead in this world? Are you using it to love other people? Humility is a willingness to use your power in service of others. And if you choose that path, that's what ultimately leads to honor. How do you, how do you get there then? How do, you, how do you go from somebody who's being prideful and, and trying to get ahead? Because I'll tell you, the world around you is telling you, you've got to get ahead. If you don't make your own way, nobody's going to make a way for you. You've got to just get to the top as fast as you can. That's what the world around you is telling you. How are you going to take that and begin to follow Christ in a path of humility? Well, the, the big overarching theme of Proverbs is basically the answer to all the Proverbs questions, and that is the fear of the Lord. The path from pride to humility, that path comes through fearing the Lord. The fear of the Lord creates humility. The fear of the Lord creates humility. If, we're, if you're studying all of Proverbs, the whole theme of Proverbs is about wisdom. And how do you get wisdom? It's not just by, by, by reading the most books or by, by trying to talk to the most people, whatever. It comes first and foremost, the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. And one of the greatest uh, ways we see wisdom, one of the greatest paths of wisdom, is the path of humility. We mentioned that last week in Proverbs chapter 8, that the fear of the Lord is the key to wisdom. Maybe you've heard that phrase, fear of the Lord, before, but that, maybe that seems strange to you. Well, you, know, I, I, you know it doesn't mean like cowering in a corner, running away from God, but what, what does fear of the Lord really mean? Well, I found another reference to it in the book of Joshua that I think helps us understand what that means. You know, in the book of Joshua, the people come into the promised land. In Joshua chapter 4, God reenacts one of the miracles He had done before. When the people left Egypt in the book of Exodus, do you remember this? He separated the Red Seas, the waters of the Red Sea. Just imagine the, the awe and wonder of watching an entire sea be split open and hundreds of thousands of people walking across on dry land and then that water crushing the Egyptian army that was chasing after them. Imagine the, the majesty and the power that that would have been to witness that. God does it again in a little bit different way when they come into the promised land the people of Israel are about to cross over the Jordan River and God brings the priest up to the, to the edge of the river and then he separates the Jordan River and God's people cross over the river on dry land and into the promised land. And Joshua says, we, we can't forget this. We cannot forget how great this is. So in Joshua chapter 4, he says uh, to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? So when they came through, they grabbed 12 stones. 
to represent 12 tribes of Israel, and they stacked them up. So people would, would pass this for generations and say, what do those 12 stones mean, Dad? He says, then you should tell your children this. Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, just as the Lord your God did so to the, to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that, your, that, that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. There it is, the fear of the Lord. That kind of fear is not a cower. It's not a, not a the hiding like he's going to do something wrong. No, no, he's... He's doing something to help his people. But listen, this power is used. It, it is worth us saying, whoa. The fear of God, we, we do have a sense of, wow, that is amazing. God is incredible. We don't come to God as his equal. We come to him submitting to his will, dependent upon him, and in worship of him. That is where humility comes from. You know what the difference between pride and humility is? It's which way your eyes are looking. You know what pride says? Pride says, I'm going to put myself up on a pedestal and I'm going to get you all to look up at me and I'm not going to look up at God. I'm going to look at myself and get other people to look up at me. That's where your eyes are focused. Humility is kind of the opposite. Humility says, I'm looking at you in the eye. I'm not looking above you or beyond you. I'm looking at you in the eye. I see you as my equal and I'm looking up to God. I'm worshiping Him. He is far above me. I'm submitting to His will. That's humility. And if we live in fear of God, this awe, reverence, respect, in, in enjoying and delighting in and celebrating the majesty of who God is, that's what's going to make us humble. Listen, if you've had a pretty good life and you've grown and you, you used to be a, a, a little bit more of a sinner and now you're a little bit less of a sinner and you used to have this addiction and now you don't and you used to have this financial debt and now you've worked hard and you've gotten out of it, you, you could... Look back at somebody who was like you or worse than you before, and, and you can look down on them. You can say, hey, look, I'm, I'm better than you. I make more money than you. I don't cuss like you do. I you can look down on them. And just real quickly, look up at God and compare yourself to God. And then think about how big of a gap that is and how little bit of a gap it is between you and the person you're putting a little bit below you. That gap, it's nothing. If you fear the Lord, if you live your life in awe and wonder of God, then we're going to look at everybody else as our equals and somebody we want to serve and love. That's the path of humility. If we try to just go through life comparing ourselves, and we're going to find ways to be arrogant and places we're going to be embarrassed because they're better than us or we're better than them, and it's none of that's going to go well. But if we live our lives in fear of God, in reverence and awe of Him, that's the path of humility. And then we can live securely knowing that that one true God who has all power, all majesty, all glory, He chose in humility to come and to give His life for you. The one who has all the glory and all the honor, He chose to come and to give His life on a cross so that you can be reconciled to Him. And when you've experienced that, when you've humbly received that salvation, it changes your heart. It changes who you are. And lets you then take you're, you've got all, you, you don't need anything else if you've got that. You don't need anything else. You can live secure. You can live confident, not in our abilities, but that the, the one who created the world calls you his son or his daughter. You need nothing else. You don't need to put yourself on any kind of pedestal if the creator of the world calls you his son or his daughter. 
You don't have to promote yourself in any other way. You've got all you need. So you can have all the confidence in him, all the dignity, all the worth, and you can use that power not to promote yourself because you've got all you need. You can use that power to serve other people. When you live in fear of the Lord, that's what creates humility. And that's the path that the Christian takes. C.S. Lewis says, if you meet a humble person, he, he, he says, you know, it's not, not somebody you just get steamrolled or somebody who's just quiet. He says, if you meet a humble person, they won't be thinking about themselves at all. They won't be thinking about themselves at all. The path of humility of following Christ is saying, I, I'm here to worship the Lord. I'm here to serve other people. You don't even have to worry about thinking about yourself. That's what it looks like to honor God, to follow Him in humility, and to trust Him in faith.